Well, we introduced the book of Lamentations over a month ago, timed perfectly to have a month-long missions conference in between that study and this one. So I do invite you to uh, turn to the book of Lamentations. Well, there's an outline for you. Of course, it's printed in the bulletin. All right, well, let's read the chapter and uh, then we'll, we'll dig in. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wanderings all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her. For they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall was terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see. If there was any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce fierce anger. From on high, he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, fainted all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand, they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I could not withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. 
He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden us as a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretched out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. Your my young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers. They deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung from me. Because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there was no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Amen. Well, just a quick word of review from over a month ago. We did uh, the kind of the scheme of thinking about books in the Bible that Richard Pratt has taught us. Writer, document, audience. And we saw in the writer, though he's not mentioned, he is not named, it's an anonymous work. Most people seem to think it was the weeping prophet himself, Jeremiah. As far as the book of Lamentations, it's five chapters made up of five poems. Uh, Chapters one to four are acrostic with the Hebrew alphabet and uh, with each stanza, that is. Chapter 5 has one line only, verses. Uh, It's a journey, an alphabetic journey through grief. Not a wallowing in it, but a dealing with it from A to Z, as we would put it in our language. The poems are a lament of the defeat of the southern kingdom, Judah, by the Babylonians, and the taking, the devastation of the capital city, Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians. Who's the audience for this? Um, Well, who's the original audience? Those that first heard. Surely it was some eyewitnesses. And they would say, yea and amen. Yes, we were there. We saw it and we know why it happened. Um. We finished our our last study by, I think we had communion that evening and we went to a passage where Christ himself laments bitterly. Shortest verse in the Bible as he is headed to the cross to bear our sins. Jesus wept. So that brings us to this evening. 
And uh, again, it's an alphabetic acrostic poem. Uh, the first um, half of the cha- chapter is used in the third person. She, uh, speaking of the southern kingdom or Jerusalem or her. Uh, the second half is primarily in the first person. Uh, I, me, that kind of language is used. And um, I want us to look at uh, Zion's calamity, verses 1 to 11. And we'll spend most of the time there looking at everything's turned upside down. Everything is emptied out. Everything, there's shame and violation everywhere. We're starved and desperate. And then Zion's cry is the second half. Um, I was trying to picture in my mind, uh, you know, what's it look like for a city to be attacked? Y'all, we've had it on the news recent months. We've seen rockets from Russia attacking the city walls and major buildings, economic centers in Kiev, Ukraine. What is like, what does war look? That's part of it. Sheer devastation. The innocents, non-combatants are killed in the rubble with nowhere to hide. Um, well, let's look then. They don't have rockets and uh, they don't have names that we hear on the news. But let's look now at Zion's calamity, verses 1 to 11. I notice that the chapter belongs with this, the very first word, how. How. The book of Lamentations is really a self-understanding or understood exclamation of lament. And it includes this element of questioning. It's the, the idea here is, how come? How'd this happen? How did this come about? There's baffled pain. There's astonished suffering, the scale of it. There's suffering mingled with questions. We'll run into questions repeatedly throughout our studies. How? How'd this happen? Notice um, verses 1 to 3. Basically, everything is turned upside down. Uh, We've been, we're immediately introduced uh, to the portrait of Jerusalem as a woman. Uh, it's very often done in ancient Near Eastern poetry. And um, where a city or even a people are likened unto a woman in distress. It's a metaphor. There's a personification here. You know, notice in verses 1 to 3 that she's called a princess who has become a widow and a slave. All there in verse 1. She's been abandoned. All those that provided for her. All those that uh, made her wealthy. Gone. She's been betrayed by her former lovers. Is the language here. Um, One person wrote that... um, The personification of a city as a woman is a common imagery in the prophets. 
It's uh, here we have a kaleidoscope of images that turn quickly from a lonely widow to a degraded princess. And, you know, I think if we were in a small group Bible study, I could go on to use the wording uh, here. But I won't with a public audience. It's the most degrading language that we have that could be used of a woman. She's a betrayed lover, an abandoned wife. And the scale of her sadness cannot be measured. Um, Among the uh, punishments for her disobedience, verse 3 describes her being scattered among the nations and failing to find rest Anywhere. But only, it's uh, interesting, the language of Deuteronomy 28 and verse 65 is one of the judgment chapters. It says when God, we have these praise and blessing chapters and then we have these cursing and punishment chapters. Deuteronomy 28 is one of those. And it describes what God will bring upon his people. Listen to this language. When he casts them aside, they will be left with only a trembling heart, failing eyes, and a languishing soul. That's what Judah has now. That's all with which they're left. A trembling heart, failing eyes, and a languishing soul. Everything is turned upside down. Notice in verses 4 to 6, kind of the imagery changes just a bit of everything is now emptied out. Um, Again, the weeping woman is now named at last, uh, but not by her geographical name, Jerusalem, but rather by Zion, verse 4. The roads to Zion mourn. Verse 6, she's called the daughter of Zion. But not only is the city mourning, lamenting, but also, notice in verse 4, even her roads, her roads mourn, her gates are desolate. So it's not just the people. It's, it's actually the buildings of what's left of the city. They are engaging in this lament. In mourning for what has happened. How devastating. Who did it? Who did this? In the text, at one level, it's obvious. Verse 5. Her foes, her enemies, of course, those wicked, God-forsaken Babylonians did it. But the text goes beyond that, obvious. It goes to another level. When they ask, how did this happen? How could this happen to Jerusalem of all cities? Notice verse 5. Because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. 
You want to know the one who's ultimately behind all of this? It's God himself. Why would he do such a thing? How could he? Well, we're given the answer there in verse 5. For the multitude of her transgressions. Apparently, there were so many. They were multiplying so much. God just at one point said, that's enough. That's enough. It's over. And it stops here. Now, for the first time in the book, Jeremiah makes the point that he will relentlessly affirm throughout the book. In the face of all the pain and the questions that are being generated. What brought this about? Unqualified rebellion. Deliberate transgressions. The suffering is beyond, get this, their suffering is beyond imagination, but not beyond explanation. It was unbearable, yes, but it was not innocent. Wasn't. Well, there's everything's turned upside down, verses one to three. Everything is emptied out, verses four to six. Next, in verses seven to ten, we have everything is shamed and violated. The writer enters the tortured mind of the city of of the woman, Jerusalem, searching her memory. Notice verse seven. Jerusalem remembers. Ah. The city remembers now in place of whatever pride she once had. It was a majestic city, wealthy, commerce, droves of people there. Whatever pride she once had, she is now overwhelmed, overcome with humiliation and shame. And that's the main theme of this section of verses She looks for comfort somewhere, anybody, please, someone. And none, none is to be found. Notice again, verse 9. She has no comforter. No one. The focus now is not so much on the magnitude of her sin but on the magnitude of the humiliation and the unbearable disgrace to which she is now exposed. Um, again, I think of the, uh, you know, just what's been on our news lately and the pictures we're getting from majestic cities reduced to rubble. Footage of bombings. Looting, looting, I can take what I want, what's left. Well, that kind of gives us some inkling, uh, some indication of what it's like for a city to be stripped naked. There's no defense. The enemy can do as he pleases. And that's what's taking place here. Again, notice uh, the city, the woman uh, speaks twice. 
At the end of verse 9, O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. And at the end of verse 11, she speaks again, Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Uh, In verse 9, here's literally the first words spoken by the woman herself. In punishing Israel at the hands of their enemies, the Lord, get this, the Lord has exposed his own name to ridicule and blasphemy. Think about it. Jerusalem, it's the city of God. Those people worship the Creator, the Lord, the Redeemer. That's His capital. He, that's His temple. That's where He's worshipped. That's where He receives sacrifices. Now look at that city. What does that say about Him? His name is attached there. He said He dwelt there. Now look at it. Look at the rubble. Humiliating ridicule and blasphemy. And there at the end of verse 11 again, the unspoken corollary, for I am despised. The city says, I am despised. So are you. Jeremiah writes, so are you because of the city. Despised. Y'all, I don't know what to do with these themes. You know, I'd, I'd rather study, let's study Romans or Ephesians, you know, uh, something more familiar. Um, I just thought it was one of the neglected books. There are 66 of them here, and we could try to work through this one together in uh, just a couple of weeks and not prolong it. But in this, and uh, I would I would like to stress this every time that um, as Jerusalem asks, why, how can this have happened? Look what you've done to us. I want us to connect the dots from there to Calvary and the Son of God, eternal with the Father. Creator of all things, speaking of all things into nothing, worshipped by myriads of angels for eternity past. And then he would come and one day be stripped. He would bear shame. What's our hymn? Uh, Bearing shame and scoffing rude. He would be despised. He would be rejected. He would be the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I hope the book of Lamentations takes us in that direction. Okay. So that our appreciation for the gospel will grow and deepen. That our praises may be enriched. That we will learn what it is to live lives of faith that rest upon him. That rest upon that work of Christ himself. So, well, 
um, just to just another word. Um, ran across an article I found very helpful in a Christian counseling journal. And uh, the lady said, we do not tend to have positive associations with the habit of complaining. <laughs> you know, as children, we kind of grow up and have nicknames for the uh, classmates that all they do is complain, you know. And we just kind of grow up that way. But here we have an entire book of the Bible of complaining to God. Um, God makes it clear that he welcomes our expressions of lament. He welcomes them. In fact, he insists on them. There are more laments than praises in the book of Psalms itself. One person wrote, when we open our hearts and our mouths to God in lament, we are doing nothing more than simply offering him the information he has already given to us. Lamenting, y'all, lamenting to God is a part of cultivating intimacy with him. When was the last time you asked your father why? Have you ever? When was the last time you asked your heavenly father, how much longer is this going to take? Lamenting to God is a vital part of cultivating intimacy with him. How much of that do we know? Well, may God add his blessing. Um, Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this whole theme of lamenting is so new to most of us. We rarely use this kind of language when we talk to you, even in private. Yet you've put an entire book of it in your word. Please, please work in our hearts that we may receive what you've said, that we may embrace it. And in your providence, when there are occasions in our lives where the language of lament is the best way to pray, that you will enable us to do that. Please, Father, hear us for Jesus' sake we ask. Amen.